1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always... Thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Pete Wong, co-founder of The Neuron, a daily newsletter dedicated to the latest news about artificial intelligence. Pete started writing online when he was a teenager as a copywriter. After college, he worked as an analyst at McKinsey, then with a number of startups in tech. Throughout the interview, Pete expressed how excited and interesting he found working in tech and is particularly excited to see what happens as AI becomes mainstream. How ultimately will AI affect business and entrepreneurship? Pete's not sure, but he's excited to see what's going to happen next. Some of the questions and thoughts he shared during our interview are, a new wave of businesses where AI comes first will clearly emerge. AI has the potential to change how fast businesses evolve and adapt. Pete wonders if it might be possible to shorten the cycle of founding to exiting from 10 to 15 years to under 10 years for a company. Think of ChatGPT as a very smart intern who doesn't know anything. People will need to teach, quote unquote, ChatGPT before it can make a difference in how they work. Companies will have to come up with their own strategies and models for the use of AI. For now, Pete recommends a wait-and-see approach. At the same time, he recommends companies who want to incorporate AI tools be nimble and always watch out for what's out there. All right, now let's get better together. Pete Wong, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, Jari? It's going great. It's going great. I am just so thrilled to have you on the show You and I know each other for being commissioners on the San Francisco Public Library Commission, which is a great bunch of people. We uh, kind of bonded over all things tech. Uh, It's just been such a great time being on the commission with you and learning what you're doing. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you, other than I just love talking to you, is that you are the founder of a newsletter called The Neuron. It is all about AI, what's happening in AI, and it's coming. And clearly, that's a massive topic that everyone wants to talk about. And I figured, you know what? I'm sure Pete is going to be way smarter than me on this because he's got a (laughs) newsletter that I think you just told me has over 40,000 professionals staying ahead of the AI revolution, which I really love. And I know you're doing a bunch of stuff. This is, I think, your first entrepreneurial-type gig which is always kind of cool. So uh, we're going to talk all about that. But as I always like to say, my first question, you know, I'm a super boring guy. I only have really one question. Everyone knows, right? <laughs> um, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today?
2: Oh, boy. Well, first, thanks for for having me. I, I think it's, it's always fun to uh, just share the story and, and talk more about what we're working on, right? Um, look, I, I think uh, with all these things, this is my first entrepreneurial thing uh, in this form. Although I will say, I've noticed a lot of people recently have, um, there's this wave of entrepreneurs who have gotten started a lot earlier in the form of video games and things that feel like video games when we were uh in high school, middle school and high school. My first job was actually as a ghostwriter for um these folks that were running, you know, These sites were like pretty spammy, like looking backwards, but they were selling uh, wristwatches and golf clubs. And I was uh, 14 or 15 uh, writing on a per word basis, these SEO optimized reviews for golf clubs and and wristwatches um, and doing this sort of content game that actually has uh, somehow found another life. Uh, in in sort of what I'm doing now, even though it's a little bit different. So I've been in the internet, in and on the internet for so long, my entire life. I grew up on the place. Um, there's a certain culture about it that I, I very much understand. Um, but in between that and this was a whole bunch of uh, actual professional stuff, right? So I, I uh, started as a strategy consultant uh, at McKinsey, uh, and then moved to SF. I was in Chicago at the time, moved to SF, and did startup stuff, right? So I was at um, Airtable for four years. I I did a couple of startups uh, after that. And working in tech, uh, as you know, is super exciting, super, super exciting. And there's all these people trying to change the world, um, either actually changing the world by building these like amazing businesses or new products or new technologies or uh just thinking bigger about what it is that they're doing, right? And I always found, found that super exciting. It's something that I missed when I was in Chicago. And uh, now all this AI stuff is crazy. It is so fascinating, right? Like you have uh, you know, all these discussions about business applications of AI, which is what I'm interested in, but very, very philosophical questions about who we are as humans, Uh, What happens when you build a computer program that is effectively as powerful as humans and how is society going to change, right? And and how do we deal with this? These are all very, very big questions. Um, So anyways, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is is helping people keep track of what's going on. Certainly, there are a bunch of headlines going on, new products, new things to be aware of, new experiments, new projects that that, uh, people should know about and would find fascinating. But How do we deal with all these bigger questions? These are all these things that you don't have time to think about when you're working your regular job or just going about your day. But I get to be in the position of watching all these discussions happen live every single day. And every Monday through Friday, I get to share that with people. And uh, sure, is it a business? Fine. Yeah, that's one part of it. But um, it is just a very interesting. Time in tech history, in business history, in society, in civilization, and all these different things, and that is super, super cool. And 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 I always find that to be the most fun part of uh, of what I'm doing.
1: No, oh, I mean, totally. I, I can't even keep track of it all. It's so like it's so rapidly changing. And I, I was actually was at lunch with someone, and we were talking about it. And it's like, you know, humans learn sort of on a linear scale or roughly linear. And then just as you think you're about to head to get to the next thing where like, I finally understand it, AI jumps at nonlinear up to the next level. And you're sort of like, okay, what I just learned just doesn't matter anymore. And it's just evolving so fast that I think it's just going to be one of those disruptive game changers like the internet was, or like computers were, or steam engines or the printing press, like people won't won't know how to handle it and now that we're so connected and that everything is so like th- things are just changing so fast I think it's freaking people out and what's interesting is there's obviously opportunities to, to educate people which'm I'm, I'm really thankful that you do. Um, but I'm curious so what are some of your just general thoughts about how it's going I mean you know uh Sam Altman was on the Lex Friedman podcast like we're we're recording this in early April he was like in March and just the amount of things that he's talking about and like what's going on and how they're dealing with stuff it's it's almost overwhelming so what what should we be like what sh- other than of course subscribing to the newsletter <laughs> what's <laughs> the what's what sort how should we think about this what sort of the game plan to, you know if, if from I'd like your thoughts if you're like a startup person, which which I am, or I'm working at a firm now that does consults with a lot of people to just, you know, just six pack trying to figure this out.
2: It is exactly for this reason that that you just outlined, Jari, which is um, the curve of AI looks a whole lot different than than anything else. And that is why it's actually very hard to piece together... All the various layers of the onion i i guess to, to to really understand how we should be dealing with this look on an individual level we are going to see some of the wildest consumer experiences that we've ever seen right uh there entertainment's going to change like all the content that we see on the internet is going to change um for example there are now fully ai generated live streams there are tools that can replicate anyone's voice perfectly there are tools that can generate any new voice perfectly that is perfectly human sounding um there are instagram models and influencers that are completely ai generated and look human like you just got to put those things together and all of a sudden you have something that is like you know, the Disney of the future is going to be much different, right? Oh like the yeah, no, I, experience.
1: yeah. I saw I saw an image of on it was like an Instagram image of basically, you know, a bunch of bikini models, just because of course they're gonna do that, right? And they're like, Okay, which one's AI and which one's not AI? And you're like, Well, it's just at first blush, you couldn't tell. And then people started to dissect it and then yeah. they're like, Notice, notice the hands and the arms. Like they don't look like normal arms. <laughs> they were like right, right. contorted, and so you just start thinking, "Oh my gosh, it's going to know exactly what you're gonna, you know, gonna want to do, or what you what would appeals to you." Then there was also someone showed me a uh, it was a Coca Cola commercial. I don't know if you've seen this Coca Cola commercial with with when they threw the Coca Cola bottle into a painting, and it was just this painting was throwing these Coke bottles all to all these paintings, and it was like all AI generated, like. It was just it was incredible. Yeah. Incredible.
2: Yeah. So the quality is going to get insane, right? Like this hands problem that you're talking about is a very like the hands and fingers thing is oftentimes before these AI models were generating uh you know five arms per person or seven fingers per hand, like that kind of thing. And that that's that's definitely gonna, you know, it's gonna get fixed. I think mean, the latest models have fixed it, which is which is kind of scary, right? How quick it is. Um, that's on the consumer side. I, I think, look, for 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 the average professional, there will be a pretty big moment when, just like how you learned how to search Google effectively to find exactly what you want, it's going to be the same exact thing for navigating these, the chat GPT and similar AI tools of the world. Right. And, and so there are going to be, um, it, it's going to help a lot in, in your work. And uh, it's not yet at the point where, You should expect 80% of the population to be using this. There is already a very good chunk of the population is using it, but we're still sort of months away, I think, from full-blown widespread usage for a number of reasons. Um, Businesses are going to go through some transformation, and there's going to be a whole wave of small businesses in the next two years that are going to be AI first and they're going to operate incredibly high leverage, incredibly high leverage, their headcount is going to be 5 to 10x smaller than what they would have been without this. You're going to have someone who is effectively a commander of all these AI interns, and they're going to output work like crazy, right? It's going to be fascinating, and 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 it's going to fundamentally change how we understand what a healthy business model looks like, what a healthy operating model model looks like what your expectations are of margins and productivity, right? All that is going to change. That's certainly going to extend the enterprise too. It's going to take a lot lot of time. But here's the part that I think is difficult to grapple with, with this AI thing, is in this wave of AI pioneers trying to commercialize the technology and figure out what is actually applicable to the use and me's of the world we're just showing up to work every day and trying to be more productive more efficient better what we what we do there's also in that same group of people that people try to make businesses more effective like these are the things that i'm interested in right parallel to this is a highly existential crisis conversation of oh my god what happens if this all goes wrong <laughs> which is super weird it's super.
1: Oh, I can't like the, the people that are like going down the doomsday scenario down that rabbit hole are just like, oh man, I'm glad you're thinking about that. But wow, there's a
2: lot of, uh, totally.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm just, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, but as well. and And I really love the fact that you're focused on the enterprise because I think the enterprise is the big, the killer app for this. One of the reasons I just my whole my thought process on this is because all my buddies that use it, it's like man, like you said about interns, like God, this is like the smartest intern I've ever had, and I'm all yeah, someone that can help you do your job better. Because the thing that a lot of people don't understand yet that are all freaked out about it is it still can't read your mind. So it you have to tell it what to do. You are the creator and the curator. It is just amplifying how fast you can do it with what kind of quality. I mean it's the same with a computer it was the same with the printing press. it was the same with the internet it's this just dis- it's a disruptive step function on the next level of productivity and i'm I'm curious how your thoughts are on how the enterprise will use it because that again I think is the killer app
2: totally uh, I think this this particular question depends on the organization that you're in and exactly what you're doing right on the very tactical level uh, for again the average professional using this in their day-to-day um the the main thing is that you are now going to see a pretty jarring shift between people who are um who are used to playing in the symphony to now having to direct this or, or conduct the symphony right if you think about all the things that you do there hasn't been actually a time when you've had to really sit down and like think about every single piece that goes into your work, right? Until you have to train yourself out of that position. Maybe you have hired a new team around you or your business is growing like fast growth startup or whatever it is and you're trying to rapidly scale your processes. Those are the moments, but now everyone has to do that. Right. Because ChatGPT to your point is a very damn smart intern that doesn't know anything. Right. And it can understand everything that you're saying, but like when it comes out of the box, you should assume that it's like, uh, you know, literally, you know, born like a baby born with like the hugest brain, but like has no life experience, right? Uh, yeah, total so,
1: like uh, Bambi lost in the woods or, uh, you know, the whole exactly. thing where, where I can make stuff up because I think it's just propensity to please you. So it's like, yeah, sure, I can do that. I remember the other day I was doing something. It's like, yeah, sure, I can help you with that. Oh, that's yeah. wrong. The it's a baby that's here. babbling.
2: Yeah. Right. right. It's a baby that's babbling and it's just like making up language and all this kind of stuff It's the exact same thing. Right. And so like even even if you were to use these tools like uh, at work, basically everyone's going to have to step back and be like, okay, what am I writing this report? What am I actually doing here? Like every single thing that I'm thinking about, can I write that down? Can I encode it? Right. So then when you play this out over a long enough period, there is. Uh, going to be this moment then where everyone is spending so much time trying to write the perfect chat GPT prompt that has all the existing context that they're going to realize that it's actually going to save them time to just do the work again rather than spend all this time writing a hyper-complex chat GPT prompt. It doesn't matter if like you're spending 50 hours perfecting your chat GPT prompt to handle every single use case and you just like write the damn thing. Right? Like It'll take you like, 15
1: minutes. True. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, I could... Tell it what I'm going to write, or I could just write it because it's so complicated. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point.
2: So what's actually going to happen, I think, for the enterprise is that uh, the end state of all this is every, every enterprise, every business is going to fine tune their own model. And what that means is basically taking something like a G- GPT-4 from OpenAI or whatever, and adding those additional training steps to sort of bake in the context from the business directly into the model. And that's different from how you'd use ChatGPT in the way that we just described, because uh, what you're essentially doing in that first model that we were talking about is trying to uh, bundle up some amount of info or context and then have it do something based off of that context. We well, might as well, if we're gonna do that over and over again, you might as well just bake it into the model from day one, right? Instead of Instead of trying to attach it with every single message. And so here, I think that that's the part where the implication of this is simply that, um, look, the AI world is exceedingly small right now. It's very loud, but very, the amount of people that actually know what's going on, it's very, very, very small. And so the transition for enterprises to adopt this is all of these executives are are going to have to figure out their AI model strategy in a way that is... Uh, business oriented, business outcome oriented, and um, in a way that allows them to solve backwards. If they're not ready to do this today, what are all the pieces that that they need to get in motion now in order to have to execute on this AI model strategy in the next few years? Right. This largely has to do with the availability of data to train on, the availability of the organization to handle this from a human capital perspective and talent perspective these sorts of things right um and so what's going on on the enterprise side is everybody has to basically like rethink how they do business from an internal workflow perspective product development perspective etc to sort of factor in factor in ai from from day one right
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a uh, interesting dilemma, I think. And one of the things I think that's going to be the most challenging for people is to really understand its impact on the organization, because I think that's the killer, again, killer app. Like, I can't think of a better way. I can't think of something that's going to add more impact and more efficiency. And kind of like the internet did. Once everyone was on the internet and enterprise, the world, I mean, you could then do remote work. You could work, you could have a team in India and a team in China and a team in Europe, and they could all communicate. That did not happen prior to around the mid 90s. It was just almost impossible to, to be as efficient. I mean, even when I was designing computer chips, we would, you know, we'd have the team in India doing the layout or whatever. And then we would, could work on it 24 7. I think this is we're at that spot right now. I'm just I'm just curious on how it's all gonna roll out. Cause it just to your point, it, it, it's loud. There's not a lot of people that understand this. And that's why a reason why your 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 um your newsletter is so important, the thought process, the thoughtfulness of the analysis, the discussions. We really gotta figure this out. And it's not like the internet was. It's not like the computer was. It's not like the printing press was, although maybe the printing press has the same kind of applicability. This thing can do stuff on its own. <laughs> it's like almost, it's not sent. I don't know if it's sentient yet, but you know what I mean? And, and so for entrepreneurs, as we're looking to do this, we're looking to build our businesses or get into the AI space, it's going to change the way we work. And I'm just curious when you see in your entrepreneur journey, you know, this is your kind of your first thing with sort of your, your own thing. How, how do you see that playing out? How can entrepreneurs startups like think about AI in a way that's like thoughtful, you know, how, how, how do you think about it? I mean, you're in the AI business. How are you using AI in your
2: business as an example? Totally. It is a uh, it's, it's a difficult question because This has some element of trying to predict the future, which is really, really hard to do, right? Like when you step back on all this conversation, things are changing week by week at a pace that is crazy. And and just to paint the picture for you very concretely, we're in early April. A month ago, we were still in this phase of everyone as a side project or a new product or whatever was in the phase of building chatbots. Like, oh, like... Can you build a thing that allows you to turn your PDF into a chat bot? Can you add a chat bot into your existing product? Like how, again, like how are we using chat GPT and everything like that? Right. In just a matter of two weeks, the conversation went from chat bots to autonomous agents, which is scary. Right. I don't think most people actually like realize how big of a shift that is because the first one was about, okay, you know, if you took that model, then the way you work and how it changes is basically that you are now using natural language to do everything. You are talking to, um, a, again, a very smart AI intern and asking questions like you normally would. And it's just that they can understand the, uh, like what you're saying in, in a more natural tone, rather than you having to write very formal product specifications or SQL or like these sort of technical things. Right. Um, the, in that time, there, w- there was the, the phrase right, like the hottest programming language is English, <laughs> right? So, so that that, that was sort of the mentality. But now, right, like the the autonomous agent thing that's happening is uh, you can people figured out that you can ask GPT four to give it some goal, right? Uh, for example, create a business that makes a thousand dollars a month, and it will. Uh, if you ask it to start with that goal and come up with the list of tasks that it needs to do in order to achieve that goal, and then it'll realize that for each one of these tasks, it doesn't know how to do that task, but it knows what it needs to search on Google in order to learn how to do that task. It's going to do that searching and then break that task into subtasks, reprioritize everything, and then repeat over and over and over and over again until it believes that it has solved that goal. Right. That is much different from the first one, because this one is AI in control. This 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 first model that we were talking about with the chatbots was, okay, you as a professional are being augmented by AI. This one is the end state of of autonomous agents is outright replacement. Right. uh, Of these roles. So we're in this middle of this conversation of like, which one do we as society want? We don't know. We don't know, and for that reason, it is very confusing for people to actually decide how they're going to uh, use these tools in their work. Right? We don't. We just don't know what what that conversation looks like six months from now. Right. And so, the most thing that you can do today, tactically speaking, is to take whatever blindly obvious rote work that you have and give it to something like Chat GPT, right, or some equivalent. Beyond that. We have a big sort of wave of figuring it out. (laughs) It's it's the community trying to build these products, like tease out what exactly is the thing that we want. And then there's that that much lengthier phase of um, hardening those concepts in a way that actually makes them business friendly. The most common, uh, what I mean by that is the most common complaint I hear about ChatGPT at work is that their business does not let them because they don't want their data to be used as training. Uh, for for ChatGPT, which is totally valid, right? Which is why Italy and France and Germany and Ireland, everyone's like talking about banning ads because they've realized that like OpenAI is actually using what you put in ChatGPT to train ChatGPT in the future.
1: Yeah, well, which makes sense. If it's a it's an intern, it's going to learn who you are, right? Sense- exactly,
2: exactly. And so these, like all these products are now currently built for consumers, small businesses, things where that concept is fine. It's like really like zero to low penalty. Um, but when it comes to work, there's going to be a whole batch of these tools that become enterprise first, and they're going to come with a whole different amount of approaches and 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 way of doing things. Uh, and that's when you start the conversation of like, okay, which tools are actually the thing that we need to use? What do they look like? What are the skills involved? Uh, how do we embed them into our core processes such that we don't have to revisit this conversation like every every two or three months? Um, all that kind of stuff, right? And so, I think the the overarching thing is that everyone just simply needs to remain nimble about this, willing to experiment, uh, willing to monitor what's going on. But there actually is a valid argument for simply waiting and letting all the dust settle, uh, and and then figure out like what the actual application is. Because look, waiting four or five months is have going to have zero cost to you, but it's gonna it's gonna be literally light years of time, basically, for, for the AI community to figure out what's going on.
1: Oh, it totally seems that way. I mean, again, the internet analogy back when the internet was being built. I mean, people knew, so people didn't really understand at the time, okay, what is this actually going to be useful for? All they knew was that connecting people together made sense. There was DARPAnet and ARPANET or whatever. I don't remember what they called it back then, where we're like, hey, we're researchers and we want to share information. Sharing information is good. Okay. But no one, no one, no one had a clue that it would be used for commerce. No one trusted it for that. There was email and you use email to talk to people, but everyone's like, Well, why don't we just do blah, or you could send a file. Well, we'll just print it out and ship it or whatever, you know. And it it was when those use cases of okay, how commercially is this going to happen is when when the enterprise figured it out it's when some of the entrepreneurs figured out e-commerce, which again, took, still take, took forever. Um, but back then it was just all, well, we know we should build this and pay attention to it, but I'm not sure why, you know, I feel that way with AI. I, I feel it's one of those things where you should always be paying attention to it yet. Don't get bent out of shape. If you're missing the boat on the, you know, the whole FOMO thing, like. Don't don't be FOMO, but don't don't ignore it. And and I don't know if you think if you if you feel that way or not, um, because that to me is like like if you're in search, as an example, you mentioned, hey, you know, I'm working on this thing. I, I think search is dead once this gets better because it's much easier to use.
2: Mm-hmm. No, totally. Look, I, I think there's uh, the the common line, right? Is that we overestimate what something like this can do in the short term and underestimate it in the long term, And that's probably right. That's probably right. Because I think there's going to be, you know, I I have talked to so many people who have come in and they're like, Oh, thousands of AI tools, literally thousands have shipped in the last six months. And then they look closer and they realize there's maybe only like five or 10 that are worth looking at. And of those, Maybe two or three actually make it into their actual day to day, right? Uh, the failure rate is really high. In, yeah, it's in, like in it's respect. like Martech, it's like
1: Martech tools. There's ten thousand Martech tools. You don't need ten thousand Martech tools. It's just a joke.
2: Yeah,
1: and that totally. they've been building Martech tools for a decade. It's like somebody's like, oh, I got to optimize this. Yet another Martech. <laughs> you know, yeah, that totally. it, it just it's oh, I mean, to that it's overwhelming. And I think, and I love your thoughts on this. The curation piece, you know, you've got like the whole prompt engineering and the cure. I think curation, which again, what you're doing with the newsletter is so important. I want to trust the person that's curating my information so I can make informed decisions. I think AI for the enterprise is going to be about curating the massive amount of proprietary data that's swirling around that you've worked at any company. They're like, well, I'm going to do a blah 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 thing. Oh yeah, hey, I did this. Here's the template. You're like, is this even the right template? You know what I mean? It, it there's there seems to me that again, I, I love your thoughts on this, is the big deal and that if you're an entrepreneur and you're running a startup, again, don't like don't follow every trend, but like pay attention to this part of it because I think it's going to be a competitive advantage
2: here's here's what i find is actually uh th- this is sort of uh stepping back and realizing the impact of the internet on, on all this here's what's going to be interesting about all of the different companies that will attempt to uh, you know accrue value through this ai for enterprise generative ai or large language model for enterprise type of thing that's going to happen in the cloud era it took Like 10 to 15 years for the most valuable players to emerge from cloud. Now, certainly it's the cloud providers, right? Like AWS and GCP and Azure. Fine. Like what I actually mean though is the snowflakes, the toasts, the all these different players that are built from uh, a cloud native strategy. And that is after. Uh, the sort of playbook and mentality around cloud solidified as a foundation for maximum value extraction <laughs> right for for these new companies to emerge, yeah,
1: right? cloud's a great example I, I that's I'm glad you brought that up. yeah, continue on
2: but here's here's the interesting part about this is now that we've seen a couple of rounds of this, right where you've seen uh you know the this wave of people trying to figure out like what is the approach. To cloud, what is the approach to digital transformation? And then the wave of, once that foundation set, then the, the wave of companies sort of got established and accrued value off of that. The question that you have to ask in the age of the internet, as a byproduct of the internet, is how much learning have we done on these revolutions, on these platform shifts? Right? Is is this actually the end state, or is there gonna be a wave of companies? That can simultaneously shape that conversation and uh, implement it in, in a way that actually facilitates faster value accrual, such that the, the shift for, for AI is ends up being half the time, let's say, than, than cloud. And, and in five years, the most valuable companies will, will emerge off this thing, right? This is this is all a go-to-market commercialization type of type of question. And that is actually the part that, that I'm interested in exploring, which is, um, can, can we actually reinvent how uh, the enterprise playbook for new technologies is developed w- w- with this new iteration, right? Or, interesting enough, maybe, maybe there is no new playbook. Maybe that is the ceiling of how fast we can go. It just, no matter what the technology is, it just simply takes ten or fifteen years for the most valuable companies to emerge, right? I mean, I, it,
1: I, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, that's the whole innovator's dilemma. That's the whole. anytime there's a human in the in the mix, right? It's always this this the the thing that it's it's the human that's the limiter, not usually the technology.
2: But I, I think that's worth challenging in this era, right? Keep in mind that HubSpot what is HubSpot worth today? Like dozens of billions of dollars, right? Basically second place CRM and like all this kind of stuff. Uh, They started as a marketing thing around what's now called content marketing and inbound marketing. And it took them so many years to build that movement and then translate it into their actual software product, right? It's 15 years, 15 to 17 years for them to get to where they are. The natural question for the enterprise is how do you become AI first, but then for this new wave of entrepreneurs in the AI space, you have to look at a company like HubSpot and ask yourself, can you shorten that 17 year period that they have taken down to eight to 10, right? Or, or, something along those lines that again, in the age of just like how marketing works these days, how the internet works, how, um, decision makers buy things, how executives shape their opinions, how fast the world is moving. Uh, or can you actually shorten the cycle? And it's just a difficult question simply because you only, there are only a few shots at this in, in business history, right? Like in the last few decades, we've only had a few of them, right? Smartphones and and, and cloud and like all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, we have, we have another shot at this, but like, it would be interesting to see if there are a few players who actually can figure out how to commercialize an entire platform shift faster than the previous platform shifts that have come before it.
1: Oh yeah, that's actually a really interesting thought process. Like the thought experiment on that would at least in my mind be, okay, what were the limitations in the past? I think this is a good example of how looking at past technology adoptions and figuring out where the sticking points were, cuz my like my, my general philosophy on this and this is for all startups generally. I mean, if you look at venture capital, venture capital is making a 7 to 10 year bet that you're going to exit, okay? they're usually in a, they're, the the best ones find the market trend that is going to generate a ton of companies that are going to be unicorns in seven to 10 years. Just general, that's the philosophy, right? Each fund's about 10 years. So that's the way it works, right? It's just, okay. Maybe that assumption needs to change, right? Maybe that's different, but that is generally held for the last 50 60 years of venture capitalists being invented like the 50s 50s and 60s right so generally those heuristics they hold true innovation heuristics also tend to hold true as in you know like Moore's law as in you know uh scaling of you know orders of magnitude of both cost and capacity best example is you know storage is a great one where you just see this step function of cheaper and cheaper storage, which then in turn can do compute power with Moore's Law. So any kind of technical revolution seems to follow the same curves. And it seems to be, at least in my opinion, in terms of adoption, typically for it to be mainstream, it's usually a generation. Like the gener a generation has to die out and come in. There has to be these different waves. And you sort of see that with boomers gen x millennial z and alpha as these generations come on board they're just digitally native okay and i so i think it's people limited now that's my hypothesis i'm of course be challenged on that but i i think the way you're thinking about it's super interesting because now we have a different modality There's a different thing. It's actually a thing that seems almost like a bean that could accelerate that. So yeah. Totally. I I think to to
2: rephrase the question, it is basically this, which is these days, vertical SaaS is still a business model that that works and prints money. There are a lot of VCs that are still willing to fund new vertical SaaS businesses. Assuming you have the right vertical, right? A lot of the easy pickings are sort of gone, right? A lot of the big verticals are gone. But Vertical SaaS is still a playbook, and to your point, it is still you know seven to ten years for you to go from zero to IPO or something like that, right? And look, yeah, I, I buy the argument. When you trace down all of this, it can it can come down to simply how many uh, bits of information can you process in your brain through speech, through listening, through writing text per human, per day, (laughs) right? And ultimately that just might be the decider of of all these things, right? But I guess my question is this, if you factor in all the time that, it's not just the fact that it takes seven to 10 years for a, a vertical SaaS company to exist, you have to also bundle in the amount of time it took for the vertical SaaS playbook to exist, right? And that, when you talk about the industry structure is also very interesting where, When you look at, if you were to draw out the entire era of vertical SaaS from the very first example to then in the middle, some VCs formalize the business theory of why vertical SaaS exists. It's things like system of record and integrations and payments and like all these different things that form now what is a very clear idea of uh, the control point around vertical SaaS. And then you have people like, uh, there's now going to be a whole wave of companies that are ruthlessly sort of like milking that playbook for all it's worth, right? That is the entire cycle uh, of vertical SaaS. The question here is basically like, like after sort of all this time forming businesses, is there really no way that we can go faster on that, at least the first piece, maybe on an individual company by company level? Yes, like each one might take, if you make it seven to 10 years, to build and sell a company or whatever it is but like is there any way that we can develop the theory the playbook the model around these businesses faster than that right and that has something to do with uh a more deliberate effort and this is i guess the commentary is more around um you know how marketing and executive conversations and, and those types of things that that typically happen sequentially is there any way to parallelize them is there any way in the a new wave of um, creator-led marketing for you to shape that conversation and to sell your product at day one, <laughs> right? Maybe the answer yeah. is no. Maybe all that well, chasing is sort of like a stupid, you know, thing, right? Yeah, but like that, that's sort of the thing. That no, I'm I don't. Playing
1: around with. I don't think it's a stupid idea at all. I think it's a good thought experiment, and I think the thing that I think limits it is, and and again, this is my hypothesis, but if you look at technology development and when something actually becomes ready for someone to use. I mean, look at just OpenAI. It's been around for eight years, right? Like It it had to take some critical mass of computing and NVIDIA to do parallel processing and this, that, and the other thing for it to actually gain enough traction to be useful at some capacity. Before that, before OpenAI even existed, there was the theory of AI and the whole thing that went back to science fiction, right? Like, you know, talking to guys like, you know, Asimov and, you know, 20, you know, Space Odyssey and stuff like that. So I think I, it, it's an interesting idea and I think it's limited by human capacity to innovate from first principles. So, you know, like the cell phone's the best example. When the cell phone first came out in what was it the '70s or '80s or maybe the '80s, like the, it was a brick. Like you know, you see all these '80s movies. Hey, I could talk anywhere, and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, this will never go anywhere." It took at least another decade to penetrate it to the point where okay, people are familiar with it or whatever. And then it probably took another decade after that to be like, "Yeah, I don't own a home. I mean, I don't have a home phone anymore. I mean, no one has home phones anymore." I used to be, you know, the thing with the cord on the wall, <laughs> like no one knows what that is. Like, Oh, you used to dial buttons. Like, you know, he, I was funny. They had this thing where, um, you know, kids nowadays when they're like answer the phone, when I was a kid, it was to answer the phone with, you know, with your thumb and forefinger, like, I, I like I can't, a cradle and a handset now it's like, they just go like that. <laughs> they don't they never know. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, what, so This is actually a really interesting lesson for entrepreneurs as well, especially in a new market. A lot of times you have a good idea, but the market's nascent. It's hard to get traction. And I wonder if that's the limitation. I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts? I think it's a
2: very, I think it is a very important question for, put it this way. If you want to start a company in AI right now, You have a lot more thinking that you should be doing versus building a company, like whatever idea that you would have been like pursuing three to five years ago. You have a lot more thinking to do because when venture capitalists who are specialized in studying industries and actively trying to predict what's going to happen are themselves asking questions like, well, who makes the money? In AI, right? Is this you know when they're saying is this just a game of big tech? Is it all going to go to model makers like OpenAI? Are model makers themselves are going to get commoditized? How do you win and accrue value as an application on on all this? Right? When they're the ones asking these questions, you have to consider uh the calculus on your end changes. Right? Like the calculus all of a sudden is well am I willing to be part of that conversation? Do I want to be part of that conversation? And given like my assumption here is that literally hundreds of teams will die on the way to, uh, you know, pushing that problem forward on behalf of the industry. Do I want to be a part of that, right? And for some people, yes, because look, the rewards of, of being in this space are tremendous and like, it's a long Multi-round games, so it's not the fact that you, once your startup is done, it's done. It's like you you can sort of meet the right people and like take multiple swings at this thing in a very short amount of time. Like, all, there's many many benefits and reasons for why you have to do that. But I think for a lot of people who are kind of going into this, I've talked to a few of them. They don't realize exactly the situation that they're in, and they imagine this to be a, a case where, oh, let's just build an app and then we'll like sell it to small businesses and then scale it towards the end. It's like I I don't know. Like I, I don't know that, that I don't you can know. that's not expect that work. same exact journey. That's yeah. not gonna work. It's not to say I, that I you that. won't, right. but you have to ask those questions.
1: Well, I, and, and no, I'm I'm sorry. I I, I agree. It, it's just so this is the dilemma every entrepreneur has, especially if you're technical. What you end up doing is you say, Hey, I've got this cool new thing, I'm gonna build it and people will buy it. And everyone knows that doesn't work but they keep on doing it and part of the reason why venture capital works and innovation works and startup works is because failure has to happen to your point about there's going to be a lot of bodies on the way on the road to the promised land I'm just that's just the way it is uh, and there's I know there's been people trying to make like venture capital more efficient and oh how can we have like instead of 1% of them successful how about 5 and it should be that way and you're like Uh, nature of innovation—I don't think will allow that to happen. And there's just a natural process that occurs, and I think that's what's going to happen here. But uh, yeah, classic, classic problem. I don't know—I don't know the answer. <laughs> it's super fascinating, though.
2: Look, I, I think the only thing that we can be sure of is that we ought to be pretty thankful for getting to witness business and tech history. And be a part of it, and be in that conversation, right? And it's great that all of this is happening in s- with such a cross-cutting technology, because um, look, there are the equivalents of this going on in uh, in energy and space and and all these different things. But like, look, most people are not going to really get to see all that happen, right? There may be a world in which we have mass manufacturing in uh, in orbit in space, which I, I actually think is probably going to happen. But like for most people, it's not going to be a very applicable, studyable, observable transition to do that, right? Like there will only be things that you can kind of read read as an interesting article on your weekends, like you know, ten years from now. Um, but this is like everyone—it's you know, highly accessible. It's like if impacting everyone's lives, right? You get to talk about it. Uh, so, so that part I think is is the most that we can take away from this at, at, at this point right now. At least it's like very hard to draw any hard conclusions except for this one.
1: Yeah. I think the only one I could draw is that, uh, change is going to happen. Like the only constant is change. I know it's a very well-worn trope, but I mean, my whole career has been about that and it's always been the, it's always like careful what you wish for and make sure you keep up with it because it's a wild ride. Oh yeah. Just so thankful to, to know you, that you came on the show enlightened us on what's going on in one of the most fascinating fields right now. Good luck on the newsletter. Everyone should sign up for it. I know you're doing a lot of speaking. and talking on a lot of pods and stuff. Just again, just so fascinating and so thankful that you could uh, could join us and enlighten us a little bit.
2: This is super fun as always, Jari. Thanks for having me here.
1: Thanks so much, Pete. Always super cool to talk with you. Such a lot of great stuff. This AI things complete wild west <laughs> it feels feels like the internet and computers all over again, so as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my insightful interview with Pete. know that there is still in the early stages of AI right be willing to try to experiment and to fail. This is a long game, and there are no shortcuts though Pete thinks things will become Clear in a matter of months. I think we even see this. We even talked about it how absolutely quick things are changing within months, brand new technologies, new things, et cetera. So ask yourself questions like, you know, where you think the next AI movement's going to disrupt, or how is it going to look at your industry, as an example? There's going to be lots and lots of disruption. So it's always good to be careful and or you know up on where things may be going To help you get through the uncertainty of this moment considering Adopting pete's attitude. He finds everything that's happening fascinating and Expresses gratitude for getting to be part of the moment that will likely radically transform what our future looks like so Yeah, I mean there's a lot going on. I I I won't lie. It's even overwhelming for me and i'm like a techie person so um, while you may not have to keep constantly on it day to day like Pete does, you know, have some resources that you can kind of get a sense or people that you trust to be like, hey, what's really going on with this, right? Also, be willing to be part of the conversation. Know that there may not be answers yet to your questions But ask them. It's really important with this new technology stuff to sort of push the envelope, but also rein it back in, like really do the hard policy work to figure out how is this stuff really going to affect the world? Because it's going to affect the world, right? So there you have it. The actionable insights, an awesome, awesome interview with Pete. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits